0: Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open up to the book of 1 Corinthians? We're going to be going through uh, Paul's epistle to the church at Corinth. And as we take a look at it, it's one of the early epistles that Paul's going to write. And oftentimes when we consider the church, especially if we look back and we think, oh, you know, we look at the church in Acts and we see all the great things that were going on in the church, we have a tendency when we Think back, I don't know if it works like this for y'all, but when I think back of my life, the older I get, the better I was, right? As I, as I get further and further away from the event, the, the better things look. And when we look back at the, at the church, in the beginning of the church, sometimes we only focus on the positives and we forget they had challenges too. And we don't want to be disappointed because we have challenges, and they didn't seem to have challenges back then because they did have challenges, and one of those we're going to deal with in, uh, in the book to the, the epistle to the church at Corinth. So as we take a look at 1 Corinthians, we're going to begin in chapter 1, verse 1, that's a good place to start, isn't it? He begins like this, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. So the first thing Paul does is he wants everyone to know, hey, this was not the plan I had for my life. How many of us, when we got started in our walk with the Lord, we maybe we had this this, uh, idea. I I had laid out like an outline, I remember when I was young in my life, and there were certain ages that I had to... uh, reach some level of success. You know, by the time I was 30, I had to have this. And by the time I was was 40, I had to do this. And each time there was, there was this challenge that I wanted to reach. So Paul says, right in the beginning, Paul called an apostle by who? Jesus Christ. What was Paul doing when that happened? Paul was going with letters To arrest the believers and the Christians. He's on his way to Damascus to try to do his best to disrupt everything that was going on in the church. And in Paul's mind, here he is fighting this battle for the Lord. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to straighten these guys out. And on the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus Christ. And when Jesus appears to him, you remember what, what Paul says to him? Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and he responds to him, Lord, who are you? It's kind of weird, isn't it? He knew he was the Lord, but who am I talking to? And then the, the, the light that was shining on Paul responded to him. It is I, Jesus Christ, whom you we are persecuting. And immediately Paul recognized he was doing the wrong thing. Now, all those things that Paul did... Did they destroy the church? It was like fanning flames on a fire, man. Paul brought his persecution and the church expanded. It went all over the place. And Jesus said to Paul, listen, I'm going to send you out. I have a job for you. And so he meets the qualifications of an apostle. An apostle had to see the resurrected Christ. Paul saw the resurrected Christ. He was taught by Jesus for three years. He would spend time in Arabia being taught by the Lord. And then he would go out as God's chosen one to reach out into the Gentiles. And so Paul laying this out for us, Look guys, I'm called an apostle by Jesus Christ. This is the role that God has called me to. But then he goes on and he says... Uh, through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Now, who's Sosthenes? Well, guys, if we wanted to read in the book of Acts, we wanted to see what was going on in the church at the time. In Acts uh, chapter 18, we run into Sosthenes. Here's what happened. Paul's in Corinth. He found a room right next to the synagogue. So he's in this room next to the synagogue. That's where the church meeting's going on. And the folks in the synagogue are getting irritated about the the Christian folks next door. So a guy gathers up a group of them to go to the leader of Corinth and make an official complaint. The guy's name is Sosthenes. Sosthenes gathers up all these Jews against Paul. They go to the leader of Corinth and they talk to him. Now the guy who was leading Corinth Just started the job and he wanted to make a a good impression on the folks around. So what he said was, why are you bothering me with this little stuff? So he had Sosthenes thrown out and all those guys that Sosthenes got to go against Paul, they all beat him up. They beat him up. You know, the cool thing is that wasn't the end of Sosthenes, was it? Because when Sosthenes came to the end of what he thought, when he thought, hey, I'm on the right road, I'm doing what I, I think I ought to be doing, and when, when he meets God, it's after he's been rejected by his friends, he's been beaten, he's been cast out, thrown in the dirt, and who comes up to him? Paul. Hey, brother. And in 1 Corinthians chapter one, Sosthenes is a believer, man. In fact, Sosthenes is the one who's going to deliver the letter. To the church of Corinth. He's going to bring the letter from Paul. Who's in Ephesus at the time. And he's going to give it to the church there in Corinth. So he says these things in verse 2. To the church of God. Which is at Corinth. That's a great way to think of the church. Who owns the church? Man it's God's church. It's not our church. It's his church. It's a church of God. It's a church of Focused and and completely devoted unto him that happens to be in Buell. God has churches all over the place. He has them all over. He has them all over in Buell that are reaching out and touching people with the word of God. We're fulfilling our call in that. This is God's church. And he goes on to say to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, you ever come across a word that you really try to get a hold of? There's a lot of words like this in the Bible. We're going to look at justified, sanctified, and we think about those things and we want to understand fully what they mean. When you see sanctified, think of it like this. Something that has repented or turned from one thing, that's only half of it, to another. That's being sanctified. When we are being sanctified, it's a work making us righteous in our life. It means I turn from what I was doing in the world, and I now am focused on Christ. I turn from to Jesus Christ. So those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus called saints. Called saints. Now, you all probably thought you had to die and have three miracles follow your life in order for you to be a saint. God's Word says you're called saints. If you're a believer... There's only two groups, right? Saints and aints. If you love Jesus Christ, he's your savior, you are a saint. The word is hagios. means to be set apart. To be consecrated to the Lord. To be set apart to him. And that's what the, the Paul, as he's reaching out to the church at Corinth, He's reminding them about how he was called and what happened with Sosthenes. And hey, sometimes we start one way, we end another. But as God guides our life, he's the one in control. And then he reminds them, hey, this is God's church. And you are sanctified. You're turning away from your old life in Corinth. And you're turning to a new life in Jesus Christ. And you are God's kids. You're his saints. He loves you. He loves you. As Paul lays out these first two verses, this is his his focus. When he looks at the church of Corinth in verses 1 through 9, he's going to write to us how God sees his church. He's not going to see problems, issues, grief. That's not what he's looking at. Man, he's just showering them with God's love and his desire for all the people. And then look what he says. Not only those who are called saints, but with all. "...who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours." Hey, Paul's including us in a letter. You get it? "...with all who in every place." If you do a careful study of the Greek, the word all means all. Everything. To all who are in every place, he's coming together, giving us this letter, so that we can receive what the Lord has for us. And then... In verse three, he begins, and grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love how Paul writes his letters, man. He's, he just, I can just taste the love of God in the words that he's using. You know, in, in Paul, in three verses, can say so much. He can, he can refer to his, uh, his God's story, how God entered into his life and called him. He can refer to Sosthenes. He can tell the people, hey, man, God loves you and he's changing you from the inside out. He's focusing in all these areas. And then he goes to the Pauline greeting, grace and peace, grace and peace. We can learn something from Paul because Paul's got a lot of problems he's going to deal with with the church of Corinth. But the problems is not how he sees the church. Problems are just what we do. I mean, we're people, folks. I know this may come as a shock to you, but there may even be problems here. It's okay. That's not what defines us. And what defined Corinth was not the problems. What defined Corinth is what Paul's laying out for him right here. This is your definition. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to ignore issues. Hey, we're going to work our way through. That's okay. It's okay to have problems. The, the, the point is not that we have problems. The point is, what are you going to do with them? What are you going to do about those problems? But he starts with them with grace and peace. Folks, when I see Jesus Christ, I do not want justice. I'm not interested in it. If I stand before God and cry for justice, I am in serious trouble. When I go before God, I want to receive mercy. I want to receive grace. I want there to be peace. So Paul, before he ever starts dealing with any problems, that's what he gives to the people. Grace and peace. Man, we could learn from that, can't we? How many times have we come home from something, we're irritated or frustrated, we walk in the door, and the first one to meet us through the door is the dog. We trip over the dog. So we kick the dog on the way by. Stupid dog in my feet. And then we come around the corner and we see our child's bedroom. I don't know how that works for you guys. I only know it's a bedroom because that's what it looked like before we moved in. (laughs) After we moved in, that's not what it looks like anymore. It looks like, somebody told me this yesterday, it looks like, Cole's dressers all threw up. <laughs> Man, there's cold clothes every place, all over but I come around a corner and I see that and I'm a little more frustrated, and so I, I give Cole a little bit of grief and then I'm working my way through the house. You know, then here comes Joe down the hallway. Now, in, in case you haven't met Joe, he's our youngest son, and he is autistic and he likes to pace. In fact, if you stay in fellowship with us after the service, he'll be out here pacing. Well, He doesn't actually realize there's any other people in the world. Because if he's pacing and you're in the way, brother, he's lowering the shoulder and he's going to move you. <laughs> so as I'm working my way up the hallway, here comes Joe. Blam! You know, I feel like I got hit by a linebacker. That I wasn't expected. And I get around the corner. and As I work my way through... I'm just dealing out these little pieces of whatever frustration I'm feeling. I would learn a great lesson if I came in the house with a totally different attitude, wouldn't I? If I came in the house with grace and peace. Because that's what I want, ultimately. Grace and peace. And that's how Paul... He begins this letter. That's how Paul's focus is. Grace and peace to you all from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Hey, he's remembering what it was like when he went to Corinth. Man, I thank God for the grace that was given to you. I thank God for your salvation. I thank God. Man, Do you just hear the love. Now, folks... Paul wrote this letter to deal with problems. Can you tell yet? No, because when he's dealing with the people, man, he's showing them, I love you guys. I love you. I care about you. You matter to me. Man, I'm thankful for you. And and I'm so glad for your growth and what's going on. He's going to get to the stuff. And this is not the stuff that don't matter, that just softens a blow. No, this is the stuff that matters, guys. This is how God sees you. And you got to get a hold of that if you're going to have victory in this this life. Because how many of us spend our days sitting around thinking about how messed up we are? I didn't do that right, and I didn't do this right. And we start condemning ourselves. But there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. Where does that condemnation come from? The enemy. He wants to rip you off, make you ineffective because you're spending all your time looking at yourself, thinking, oh, this is wrong with me and this is wrong with me and this. And all the while, God's saying, brother, I don't see none of that. You're my, you're my child and I love you. You're covered in the blood of my son and I see you sanctified, turning away from the old life, headed toward the new. And so we want to be able to recognize that that's how God sees me. And that enables me to get up the next day and realize his mercy's new every morning. And I can take yesterday and crumble it up and throw it away. Because today is new. We get a new opportunity to do right. I'm thankful for the grace that God gives me every day. And that's what Paul wants to let them know. And in verse 5, that you were enriched in everything by him. That you are made extremely wealthy because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now some people think that that's all about money. That's not what that's about. The book of Ephesians says that we have every spiritual blessing under the heavenlies. How? In Christ Jesus. Guys, when we study Paul hundred and sixty nine times he's going to use the phrase in Christ Jesus. You think that's important? hundred and sixty nine times. He's going to tell us being in Christ Jesus meets every single need that you have in Christ Jesus. You are adopted in Christ Jesus. You're redeemed in Christ Jesus. You are forgiven in Christ Jesus. You have the strength to be more than you are right now. All the way through, Paul's going to lay those things out so that we would realize. What did Jesus say in John 15? If you, what, abide in me, I abide in you. What's he talking about? Being found in Christ Jesus. That's what we want. We want to experience the riches, the riches of being in him. And realize that, that that's already for now. It's not for later. It's now. Now we can experience those riches, those spiritual blessings, right now. Yeah. But sometimes we don't live like it, right? Sometimes we 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 live like paupers, like we don't have anything, but we have everything in Him. We have everything in what He has already given us. Scripture goes on and tells us now He has uh, given you enriched you in everything by Him in all utterance and all knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. That word confirmed, it means it's established. The testimony of Christ is established in you. What's that? How did Jesus... Do you know every one of us has a God story? You got one, I got one. They're not all the same. They don't have to be all the same. But we all have our experience with how God met us on the road like he met Paul. Or how God met us like he met Sosthenes. Or how God met us like He met James and John while they were fishing. Or how God God met us like He met little Zacchaeus. We all have a God story. Where God met us. And that's confirmed in us. That's established in us, in our relationship with Him. So that you come short in no gift. Eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, this is confirmed in you first so that you come short in no gift. We're going to study as we go through the book of Corinthians, different gifts of the Spirit. And we're going to read where the Lord tells us, earnestly desire the best gifts. Hey, Paul is going to tell them, listen, I don't want you guys to come short in any gift. Short in no gift. But he also wants them to have the right focus. He also wants their mind and eyes and heart to be set to the right thing. If our mind and eyes and heart are set to the gift or are set to the the whatever, if if they're set to being entertained when we come to church, if they're set to uh, just only being tuned in for, for what incredible solo Fritz is going to do, and if he's going to play the banjo or the harmonica, and if he can play the harmonica, the banjo, and the guitar at the same time, wouldn't we all be impressed? If our heart and eyes are on all those things, we're missing out. And so he wants us to realize where those things should be. And he tells us in the next part, earnestly, earnestly desiring, earnestly looking, earnestly and eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's revelation mean? The unveiling. What's he talking about? That you're earnestly looking for Jesus. That you're earnestly waiting for His return. That you're living every day like He's coming back. That's what He's talking about. Earnestly waiting, eagerly looking, constantly. What was the biggest, the biggest issue that Jesus was afraid of in regard to His church? That the church would be asleep. So he says, wake up. Paul would write, now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. He's calling us to be awake. Let me tell you how I understand it. When I was in the Marine Corps, uh, my my time in the Marine Corps started really good. It kind of fizzled in the middle somewhere and, and ended okay. I kind of lost sight of what was important. When well, the Marine Corps, guys, this is how it works. you got to always be ready for an inspection because an inspection can happen anytime. Anytime. What does that mean? That means your wall locker, which is your world, better be squared away. What does that mean? Your underwear, your britches, are folded six by six with your name stamped on the band of the britches and that facing up. That when you look down, you would see one pair of underbreeches and the rest of them underneath it. And what about your undershirt? Same way. Folded six by six. Your name stamped on top. Folded down. Your socks? Same way. All of your gear had a, a precise place to be, and you were required to make sure that it was always that way. How do they make sure that you always have it squared away? They say, We're coming. Maybe tomorrow, maybe today, maybe next month, but we're going to check out your gear. If you sit around and you start to think, man, they have not been around a long time. That's just that that junk they use to scare you. Well, come on. And pretty soon, your wall locker starts to look like your closet at home. Just like Cole's room right now. And you got dirty clothes in there because you don't want them out on the floor. So one particular morning you get up and you stuff all your junk in your wall locker and you close it and your whole room looks clean. And at that moment a guy walks in with white gloves and you know, oh Lord Almighty. This is not going to be pretty. And he walks up to you and says, son, I need to take a look at your wall locker. I'm sure you being a squad leader, it's all squared away. And you try to have that brave look in your eye. And you hope by saying, yeah, yeah, it's good that they won't look. And then they open it up. And the avalanche of clothes and dirty socks takes them right down to the floor. And you have an unbelievable amount of grief to go through. For quite a while. Why? Because I didn't spend every day. Believing that that was the day. He was coming. And that's what. God is telling us here. Hey. You're eagerly waiting for the return of Christ. You and I we both know. I'm not going to try to argue about any other. Semantics. If you know Jesus is coming back this afternoon. You live your life different today. And that's how he calls us to live our lives. Looking for his return. Waiting for him. Why? Because when he comes, I want to be found ready. That's it. That's the key. And that's what he's laying out for them. Eagerly waiting. Who, Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, he is going to confirm you. He is going to establish you to the end. What does that mean? Simply this. I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded. He is able to keep me. Now, when I, I lived about a year in Alaska, when we got up to Alaska, one of the first things the guys told me is, listen, Jackie, when you're walking down the, down the road and in the parking lot in Alaska, you have to put your hands in your pockets. And I said, why? Because you might slip on the ice. Well, that doesn't seem like a very good plan. My hands are in my pockets. I slip on the ice. I'm going to fall down. They say, yep. But you're not going to take any of us with you. (laughs) Boy, that doesn't sound like such a good deal. (laughs) But sure enough, I learned. Actually, you look less dumb, don't you? If your hands are in your pockets and you just slip and fall, then if you do the little dance where you try to keep your balance and fall anyway. So this is what they taught me. So when I went with my kids, we'd go up into the mountains where the snow was when we were in California. And I, when my kids were little, I'd take their hand, hey, hold dad's hand. And the kids, you know, they're all giddy. It's snow. We'll see how that works this winter. But, the kids are all excited, they want to play in the snow, want to have fun, and they're not paying attention and they'll step on ice. And when they step on ice, now I told them, hold my hand, what's the first thing that they try to do when, they're, when they start to slip and their feet come up and they're going to fall, they let go. So do they crash to the ground and bust their head open? No. Because I told them to hold my hand, but in reality, I'm holding his so that that doesn't happen. That's what God does for you and me. He says, I will establish you unto the end. I'm holding your hand. You'll slip, but I got you. you. You might trip, but I'm holding on. I'll take care of you. I'll confirm you to the end. Hey, Jesus cannot or will not save someone and then lose them. He's not going to save you and then not be able to keep you. That's not my God. My God is able, He's able to keep me from falling and present me faultless to His Father, Jesus Christ, to whom belongs all the praise and the glory forever and ever. That's what He does for us. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Hey, that He will confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless In that day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. What does he just say we are called to fellowship? We're called to come together just like we're doing right now. We're called to come together. Why? Because in this time when the body comes together corporately, each part can give what is needed to the body so that the body is strong. What does that mean? That means each of us has a part to play within the body of Christ. Each of us has a role. Each of us has something to do. Something with which we bless one another, not ourselves. Because we come together, we fit, we work. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, Not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some, and so much more as you see the day approach. What is he talking about? Hey, I want to be found gathering with God's people when God returns. I want to be found making that uh, uh, something that's important to me, that we're coming together, that we're being strengthened, not just so I can receive, but what can I give? How can I bless someone else in the body? That's the point. That's the purpose. We're called to fellowship. The word is koinonia. We heard of that, right? We do that. In fact, we have one coming up in December, right after the kids do their kids program on a on a Sunday afternoon. We're going to have a Christmas koinonia. Everyone's going to come and bring a little ornament. We're going to gather. We're going to eat together. We're going to celebrate Jesus Christ. We're going to celebrate the joy of the fact that God gave to us His only begotten Son. We're going to give uh, uh, to each person that comes this ornament. Everybody brings one. Everybody trades And we're just going to have a neat time of what? Fellowship. Gathering together. Blessing one another. Getting to know one another. This is what he's talking about. That That's what we're called to. Of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, verse 10. I plead with you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, you might not have noticed... But in the first ten verses, I can tell you what the main thing is. Paul's main theme. Because in ten verses, he repeats it ten times. Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus. He's going to repeat the name of our Savior ten times. Because that is the main thing. That is keeping the main thing the main thing. And not getting off on some side note. That is how we find unity. Listen, in chapter 1, he's calling us to unity. He's calling us to being together. What does he say right here as we look at verse 10? I plead with you, brethren, believers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. That we all have uniformity In our speech, what does that mean? That you keep the main thing, the main thing. What's the main thing? Jesus Christ. What unifies us? Jesus Christ unifies us. Who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what He has given, what He is accomplishing, what He is working in our lives. He wants us to speak the same thing. That uniformity or unity comes in who Jesus Christ is, what Jesus Christ did, and what he has accomplished in each one of us. Listen. He says not only that you speak the same thing. But that there be no divisions among you. Schisma. It means to be torn or ripped. He's not talking in this verse about different denominations. He's talking in this verse about people sowing discord among brethren. About rips and tears. Church splits. Things that rip the body apart. Listen. Listen. When the body of Christ is torn, who bleeds? Jesus does. He already bled for me. I don't want to tear the body of Christ anymore. And I I want to see my brother like Jesus sees him. I want to see my sister like Jesus sees him. I don't want there to be this ripping and tearing within the body. This is what he's saying, that there be no divisions. But that you be perfectly joined together. How? In the same mind. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. How do we we have the same mind? Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who, being in the very form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And coming in the likeness of men, he humbled himself and came as a bondservant. He would humble himself all the way to the point of death even death at the cross and then he says that's the mind you need that's the mind we want the mind of christ why because it wasn't about me it was about others It's not about what's good for me or how I look or what people think of me. It's what can I do for someone else. That's how our relationship should be with our brothers and sisters. That's how our relationship should be with our husbands and our wives. That we would recognize that it's not me. It's what can I do for my spouse. What can I do for my brother? What can I do for my sister? It's not self-exaltation, but it's humiliation. Humiliation. Being humble, lying low, allow God to lift you up. What did Jesus say? Don't seek the best place at the table. Seek the lowest place at the table. And allow the one who invited you to raise you up. What does the Bible say? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And what's he do? He will lift you up. Jesus said, if you want to be great, what must you be? The servant of all. That's what he laid out for us. That's the mind. Folks, if we want to have unity, no division, no division, no tearing in the body, we want to have the same mind, we have the mind of Christ. It's not about me. It's not about what's mine. We're not little kingdom builders. We're all functioning together, one body moving in one direction. I coached football for 10 years. In the time that I coached football, we we were able to go to state championship five times, one at one time. As we did all those things... I could never have experienced success. I would never have won 80 plus games in my career. None of those things would have happened if I'd had, had one guy on my team say, Well, I'm going to do my own thing. I, you know, yeah, you, I know my assignment is to block this guy, but I'm going to block that guy. I, I know I'm supposed to, to do this, but that's not what I want to do. I'm going to do that. And so we have a part within the team that's not functioning as a team and everything breaks down. We're to have the same mind. Hey, I used to tell the kids that I coach, hey, we all have success because we, we all play together. We all play together. We're all going to experience success. And you and I know that the guy that they're going to put in the newspaper is the quarterback and the running back and all those guys. But th- my team always knew they didn't go anywhere unless they were all together. And it's no different in the church. We don't go anywhere unless we're all together. All of the same mind all focused and desiring to go the same place. And then in the end of verse 10, and in the same judgment. What is the one Bible verse that seems like every person on the planet knows? Judge not that you not be judged. Don't judge me, brother. You can't judge me. Well, here's what that means. That verse, it speaks of judge not. It's a word krino. It means to condemn. What he's saying is, I do not have the right to condemn anyone. There's one who condemns, that's not me. The one who condemns, that's the Lord. Not Jackie, I don't want that job. It's all the Lord's. But God does call me to judge. He does call me to look and to see what's right, what's wrong. To be able to express what proper and righteous judgment is. Jesus tells us to judge with a righteous judgment. To look and to see, weighing things, understanding things. That's what he's calling us to, the same mind, the same judgment, moving forward. Not condemning someone because of something, that's not what it's about. But I can certainly point to something and say, that's sin. That's what a word says. I can point to something else and say, say this is a problem. That's what the word says. Because folks, this is the rule. If it's in here, it's true. If it says it, that's how we're required. That's how we ought to desire to live. That's how we ought to follow. So we want to have that same mind and that same judgment. For it has been declared to me in verse 11 concerning you, brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Uh Uh-oh, somebody told. Don't you hate tattletales? Hey, here's the deal on tattletales. At least Chloe put her name to it. Don't you hate it when someone comes to you and says, Hey, you know, I heard this about so-and-so. Don't say that I told you. Well, that, that becomes gossip now. When it was, hey, we're trying to focus on something that's wrong and help a brother, that's different. We don't want it to be gossip. We don't want it to be tail-bearing. Chloe put her name on it I said, Paul, we got problems. People are dividing over their teachers. Look what he says. Now, I say this to you, that each of you says... I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Listen, they were dividing over their teachers. They were not, it wasn't that they, one guy was saying, you know, I really like Paul. And somebody else saying, I I don't really get into Paul, I like Apollos. That's not what it is. They were dividing under that teacher, I can't hear nothing from Paul, only Apollos. What was Paul? Paul was the edgy little ugly guy who came around teaching all the time. People, some people liked that edgy little guy, some people didn't. Who was Apollos? He was that great order. He was a Greek. He is well known in church history for being a great speaker. Well, who's Cephas? Well, it's Peter. But it's Peter's Hebrew name. So the ones who are following Cephas, maybe they're traditionalists. Hey, we like the old ways, Peter's way. You know, the, Cephas, before he was Peter. You know, we want to we follow him. And the other group, they say, you guys are all messed up. We're following Christ. They were all dividing themselves, tearing the body of Christ, angrily getting apart, saying, I'm more holy than you because I fall under the teachings of Paul. No, I'm more holy because I fall under the teachings of Apollos. Can't we do the same thing today? Sure, you name it. Every one of us in here has our favorite teacher, so we like to hear on the radio. We also have the ones that when they come on, we push a button. And we go somewhere else. It's one thing to like a teacher and receive from them. It's another thing to ascribe to yourself more righteousness based on a relationship with that teacher. Who makes you righteous? Not Paul, not Apollos, not Cephas. Jesus Christ makes you righteous. you got to keep the main thing the main thing. Hey, how is it that those people that we like, their teaching, how is it that they have those gifts? Who gave it to them? Jesus did. Don't start worshiping the person who delivers the message... Worship the one who gave him the message. You want to keep your eyes on him, on Jesus, focused on him. I'm always a little paranoid when people get super wrapped up around whatever the the latest wave is of, of great teachers coming through. And I like them and I listen to them too. But I know that that message that I'm listening to is not given because this person is somehow better than everyone else. That message was given to him by the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that lives in you can reveal to you the very same things he revealed to that teacher. It's not the teacher who died for you. It was Christ. It's not the teacher in whose name you are baptized. Right? It's Christ. It's in the name of Jesus Christ. We don't want that to divide us. We want to find unity. And we want to find that unity in who Christ is. Look what he says. In verse 14, I thank God that I baptize none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone would say I baptize in my own name. Yes, I also baptize the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptize any other. Verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. There are are brothers and sisters in Christ that believe that someone must be baptized in order to be saved. If that were true, then I believe God would have given Paul the declaration not only to preach the gospel, but also to baptize, since it would have been required, right? But he says, I was not told to baptize but to preach the gospel, not in wisdom and words, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. What is he talking about? Hey, he is called to share the truth of God's word. That being said, we often err too far on the other side. For example, if you're a believer and you're not baptized, I don't really understand that. I don't get it. Any more than I really get the idea of a, of a man and woman being married and not wearing a wedding ring. Why don't you want anyone to know? The point of baptism is to declare happily that, hey, I follow Christ. I believe that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe that God raised Him from the dead. I put my faith and trust in Him. It's a public proclamation. And you go through the book of Acts, you're going to find baptism everywhere you go, aren't you? Not because it saves. Why? Because it's an opportunity for me to begin a witness. I'm baptized. Old life is gone. Sanctification, right? It's gone. I'm moving forward. So we want to have that desire. But what's going on with the church at Corinth? Again, they're so divided under leadership within their body... That they're being torn apart and they're starting to treat the, the pastor or the teacher that they're following as though they were Christ. Paul says, don't do that. You want to have the same mind? Follow Jesus Christ. Be focused on who he is and what he did for you. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is, you want to see the cross as foolishness? Go to Israel with me sometime. When we're in Israel, we'll go to the Arab quarter. When you go to the Arab quarter, you'll walk in maybe to a Palestinian bookstore. And you'll see all these books about how can anyone worship a God that could die for you. It's ridiculous. That's the stupidest thing we ever heard of. There was book after book after book. Why? Because the message of the cross is foolishness to the perishing. It doesn't make any sense. But to those of us who are being saved, man, that's the power of God. When I think about the cross, when I consider what Jesus did for me, I become a weepy little baby. Ever since I got saved... I lost all ability not to, not to cry. When my son was born, I'm crying. When my kids get saved, I'm crying. When people get saved, they come forward at a, at a, at outreach or something. I start crying. Why? Because the, the message of the cross is the power of God to me. I mean, that's real. It's not just some words on a page, man. It's real. And when you find that reality, it just blows me away that the God of the universe, who spoke and the universe was, became a man and died for me. That is amazing to me. That is amazing to me. Man, I, I want that to be that which controls and guides and leads me. So our unity, when he's saying first our unity is found in the main thing, in Christ, then our unity, guys, is found in what he did for us. He died on the cross. He rose again the third day declaring that the sacrifice took, declaring that it was received, God saying to us that the righteousness that he will accept, according to the book of Romans, and the only righteousness that God will accept in his presence is the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. If you don't come to Him covered in the righteousness of Christ, you stand in your own righteousness. And that ain't going to work. God won't receive it. He He told us already I will not receive any other righteousness. Only that which my Son wrought by giving His life on the cross can be a substitute for us. We put that on us when we are found in Christ Jesus. When we're in Him. He does that work. So can't we be unified about what Jesus did for us? Can't we be unified about who Jesus is? Instead of aligning ourselves behind teachers and dividing ourselves over it? In verse 19 it says for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? You know how wise our world is? How long ago was it when, uh, when George Washington was president? A little over 200 years? 200 and some years ago? Yeah, we bled him to death. Because the wisdom of man said, If someone's sick, you drain their blood. Sounds like a good plan, right? You know that the Bible said 2,000 years before that, that life is in the blood? But 200 years ago, in the wisdom of men, we killed our first president, bleeding him to death. And how many years did the world fight over the world being flat? Did you know 2,000 years prior to that, God's word declared that the earth is a sphere and it hangs on nothing? The Bible said that. God said, "I will make the wisdom of the wise nothing." How many do you know that mankind once said if you traveled more than forty miles an hour, your heart would explode? (laughs) I would be in serious trouble if that was true. (laughs) I'm—it's confession time. I got a couple minutes. It's confession time. I get pulled over so much in Idaho, it's killing me. (laughs) I seriously, and I gotta get a radar detector or something. I seriously... I'm not even trying. It just happens. You know, I don't know. It's the it's, it's, it's California in me. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to have it exercise, but it's going to take some time. So I drive down the road, and, and uh, uh, an officer's coming the other way on, on pole line. He turns around, which is usually not a good idea. If you see a cop slam on his brakes and do a donut to turn around and come behind you, he's after you. So... So I pulled over, and it was it was cool, you know. I, whenever I get pulled over, it's like, man, I, I mean, I'm guilty. It's not like I'm gonna argue. I I wasn't I wasn't really going, yeah. I was speeding. <laughs> I promise, I was doing whatever they said I was doing. So he comes up to me, and, and we start talking, and and uh, he, I find out that he goes to the Reformed Church, and we, we I'm uh, I'm going to be doing a wedding over there, and so we got to talking about that, talking about the Lord, and. And, and finally he says, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be the guy to give the pastor a ticket. But he says, doesn't the Bible say something about, you know, I don't know, thou shalt not speed? <laughs> and I said, you know, I think what the Bible says is, if your right foot offends you, cut it off. <laughs> so so we're, we're working on that. <laughs> we're working on that. <clears throat> Oy, the things that happen. The wisdom of the wise, Right. God makes the wisdom of the wise into foolishness. For since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block. To the Greeks foolishness. Listen. Listen. What he's saying is, God, because of wisdom, man wouldn't see, he wouldn't recognize. So God uses the foolishness of preaching to reach the world. That's God's choice. He made that choice. That's how he's going to accomplish it. Notice it did not say the the preaching of fools or foolish preaching. Because there's a bunch of goofballs that are out there. Do you know that? For example, there's this this group. I don't want to name them because someone might go look them up. There's this group that likes to go around and picket. And they make foul signs and say foul things, speaking harshly against homosexuals. I'm not saying homosexuality is not a sin. But the Bible tells us what? If Though I have the, the tongues of men and of angels, if I have not love, what does it profit me? Nothing, right? Nothing. But these guys, they pick it, they yell hateful things, they have signs that say uh, God hates our soldiers, praise the Lord for IEDs, all this junk. And they're doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. And that infuriates me. Because it's not the not because of the, the foolishness of preaching, but it's the preaching of fools. And there's people that follow these people. They go everywhere. A soldier dies; they'll go and pick it. The family come in there, their their son or husband or whatever dead, and they're with these signs saying how great it is that their son died because God hated him. That is a message of fools, not the foolishness of the message. Priest, listen. How do we know the difference? This is it. This is the only way that you're ever going to know. This is the way that God gave us to know. If I don't see it in Jesus, in his ministry, in the four gospels. If I don't see it in the book of Acts. And if I don't see it written in the epistles by Peter and, and John and Paul. If I don't see it in those places... It don't happen. Because that's the truth. And folks, if there's enough stuff in here to keep us pretty busy for a long time, right? That we should be focused in. What's going to keep us unified? Jesus is the main thing. What's going to keep us unified? That He died on the cross for our sins and rose again for our sanctification so that we could be justified in Christ Jesus. What's going to keep us unified? Unified. How did you get saved? He chose you. It's not the other way around. He chose you. Folks, the point is this. We want to be a church stand together, right? We want to be a church that stands for what's right and what's true. We want to be a church doing those things that God is calling us to do. We want all that to happen. we got to keep the main thing the main thing. Amen? Amen? Amen. i got one other thing I'm just going to share with you. and Actually, Fritz, you can come on up. We're going to worship right after this. But I wanted to share this, uh, share this with you before we pray. Some of you may know it, but it so often reminds me of, of where we're at sometimes, what we can allow to get us off a of track, and sometimes how we tend to view ourselves rather than seeing how God views us. Well, it was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer felt it was hardly worth his while to waste much time on that old violin, but he held it up with a smile. It sure ain't much, but it's all we got left. I guess we ought to sell it too, so now who start to bid on this old violin? Just one more, and then we'll be through. So he cried, one, give me one dollar. make it two? Only two dollars. Who'll make it three? <clears throat> twice, now that's a good price, but who's got a bid for me? Raise up your hand. Don't wait any longer. The auction's about to end. Who's got four, just $1 more to bid on the old violin? Well, the air was hot and the people stood around and the sun was setting low. And from the back of the crowd, a gray-haired man came forward and he picked up the bow. He wiped the dust off that old violin and he tightened up its strings. And when he played a melody pure and sweet, sweeter than the angels sing when the music stopped and the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low he said what am i bid for this old violin then he held it up with a bow and he cried out one give me one thousand who'll make it two only two thousand who'll make it three three thousand twice you know it's a good price come on who's got a bid for me The people cried out, hey, what made the change? We don't understand. And the auctioneer stopped and he said with a smile, just a touch of the master's hand. You know, there's many a man with a life out of tune. It's battered and scarred with sin. And he's auctioned cheap to a thankless world, much like that old violin. But Then that master comes and that old foolish crowd, they never quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought. By just one touch of the master's hand. You stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time as we gather before you, Lord. Father, it's our desire. Lord, even though many of us are just like that old violin, worn out and out of tune. God, you are able to tune us. You are able to play us. When we present ourselves to you, (coughs) you make beautiful, beautiful music. God, we pray, Father, that we would learn to see ourselves in God's eyes, to see our brothers in God's eyes, that we would desire to be unified under one in Christ Jesus, that we would be unified because of who Jesus is, That we would be unified because of what Jesus did. That we would be unified because God, you chose us. We're on the same team. Moving in the same direction. So let us have the same mind. Let us speak the same thing. Let us have the same judgment. May we glorify you by the song that we play. Father as you touch us. As you guide us. As you lead us. May we glorify you in all we do. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to go ahead and close in worship. I'd love to invite the prayer counselors. To come